Good afternoon, Well Family. My name is Kel Gardenhire, and I'm a Covenant member here at the Well, and uh, got the Southwest Community Group over here cheering me on. I serve, a, uh, serve alongside my wife and three daughters as a host for the Southwest Group. All right, I'm going to be reading uh, John chapter 14, verses uh, 1 through 7 today. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to me and comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. All right, citizens of heaven, how are we? Good, good to be here with you all. Happy post-Thanksgiving. Uh, post Black Friday, the day where our giving is down because half of y'all don't spend y'all bread on Black Friday. <laughs> half of y'all waiting for Cyber Monday. What about Supplication Sunday? All right, no, I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. We ready? Amen, amen. Uh, hey, today is the first day of Advent, as we have been saying, and uh, we are kicking off Advent with a little bit of a twist this year. And so Advent historically, just to re-remind us, uh, is the time four weeks leading up to Christmas where we remember the coming of Christ. The word Advent is from the Latin word that literally translates arrival. So it is a focus on the arrival of Jesus and what that meant for humanity and what that still means for humanity. You see, when Jesus arrived, everyone had been waiting, literally longing for a Messiah that would bring deliverance, that would bring rescue, that would bring redemption to God's people. And during Christmas, we celebrate these four overarching themes that really highlight what Christ did at his coming. They embody what his arrival meant. And those themes are hope. Peace, love, and joy. And that's what we're going to be covering. This is the thing that everybody in the world craves in some form or fashion. And because of the incarnation of Jesus or God becoming man in Christ, we can now have eternal hope. We can have perfect peace. We can have true love. And we can have overwhelming joy. Now, normally, when we focus on Christ's coming and what uh, this provided for us, we actually focus on his first coming, because that's what Christmas is. You set up your little manger scene, even though half of the things that are there weren't even there at the original manger scene, all right? But you set it up, and you think about the first coming of Christ. However, we're going to take this a little bit differently this year. We're going to be in John chapter 14 through 16 during this season, and if you need time of like, I want to have a devotional time, I don't really know what to read. I would encourage you, maybe read that chunk of scripture really slowly this month. It's called the Upper Room Discourse. It's the, the, the things that Jesus said right before he was going to die. And what we want to focus on is not the first coming of Christ, but actually the second coming of Christ this year. And how even though in the first coming we did experience glimpses or shadows of Christ, we, we whiffed fragrances of hope and of peace and of love and of joy, we are still in a period of waiting. 
We're still in a period where we're longing for that to be fully realized. We're still in a second advent in that sense. We are awaiting Christ's arrival. And once Jesus returns, family of God, then these glimpses of beauty will be fully realized. And the shadows that we experience, they will turn into eternal substance. And you will have true gladness forever. This O come, O come, Emmanuel will no longer be sung in heaven because we will be with Emmanuel forever. And you will have this a hope and peace and love and joy. They will be yours. You will reign with Jesus forever. This is gospel already, isn't it, family? This is good news for us. You see, we are still in a season of waiting. And if 2020 and Lord 2021 taught us anything, it is that this world, no matter how decorated we decor the design, it is still broken. It is still fractured around us. And we have a greater hope in front of us than having a nice job or having a nice 401k or whatever it is that we tend to place our hopes in. And remembering our waiting and anticipating this second advent, I believe that this is the balm that our souls need in the midst of the brokenness that we experience around us. And so let us rest, okay, and let us rejoice in Christ this afternoon together. What does the second coming of Christ mean for us? How is Jesus, because of the resurrection and because of the soon and very soon returning of Christ, how is he our future hope? That's the title for the sermon today. Christ is our future hope. The word hope is used 164 times in the Bible. And as we dive into our text today, we see this extremely beautiful sentence. It says, let not your hearts be troubled. Let not your hearts be troubled. Whew. Like, can we rest in that sentence for a second? These aren't just words on a page. This is God speaking to us. This isn't humanity penning these words. This is the divine trying to communicate to us. Let not your hearts be troubled. What troubles your heart? Is it politics or money? Is it the pandemic or relationships? Lord, is it Christmas shopping? I don't know. Right? Like, like sometimes we have panicked hearts, don't we? Like Jesus opens the text and says, calm down, right? It's okay. Why? Why is it okay? He says, because I have a future for you. There is something in front of you. It is okay because your hope is real in me. If you believe in me, then there is a future. I am preparing it, and it will be overwhelmingly full. You can have a hope is what Jesus proclaims. That word there for troubled, it means to cause one inward commotion, to take away the calmness of mind, to disturb one's composure, temper, or to render one anxious or distressed. This is the antithesis of hope, right? Anxiety is often the enemy of hope because anxiety says, hey, there is no future, or the future is so awful that you really have nothing to look forward to. And Jesus calls bull on this, family. You see, he says that our future is so awesome that no matter how awful the present, the hope that you can have and the future that you will have, it should overwhelm the present because of who's there. It's Jesus. 
You see, let's back up and actually remember the context of this passage because it's easy just to jump into John 14 and not feel the weight of what's really going on here. Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Passover dinner a few hours before he's going to be betrayed and then crucified and die a horrific death. And so this man, the disciples' best friend, Okay? Like the one who they think would be the savior of the world, the one that they rid themselves of their professions, they sold all of their possessions, they gave up their fields and they gave up their livelihoods, they were willing to risk their life, willing to trust him even to the point of death, he is about to die. And Christ is like, it's all right, right? Uh, come on, y'all. Like, can we live in this text for a moment? Like, imagine if you were here. Imagine if everything you had given your life for, all of a sudden you hear this news that he is about to die. You see, some of us, we're anxious because we have family members who are sick or our jobs are, are uncertain or, or maybe there's just trouble in our heart. But even those family members that are sick, we don't believe that they're saviors, do we? And yet here is these disciples, they believe that this man is the Savior. Imagine if the person who you thought would deliver you from your sins and bring redemption said, I'm going to die. That's it. But, but, but don't be troubled at that. There is a future. This is a terrible moment for the disciples. And Jesus says, do not have this inward calamity, this inward commotion, this fear, this anxiety, because you are going to heaven. I mean, this can be hard to believe, can it not? Unless y'all are just way more hopeful people than I am, right? Can you imagine, though, if we did believe in this? Like, could you imagine if that sentence if we actually allowed it to take root in the soil of our souls, what type of fruit would bear forth from that? You see, anxiety, family, it's an internal state of the heart that tells us that something in this world is wrong. So it makes sense that a lot of our anxiety went up over the past couple of years. You see, the mask of life was removed and we saw the brokenness of the fallen world. The Instagram filter was taken off the last two years, yeah? And it was easy to see the brokenness that was around us. And so for Jesus to say, let not your hearts be troubled, which let, by the way, that's a verb, that's an action. It means you have to do something in order for this truth to be realized. Let not your heart have anxiety. How? How do we do this when we feel brokenness? Well, he goes on, you believe in God, he says, and believe in me. And have hope in the future that you have heaven awaiting you, that I am going to come to you again. This is admittedly hard for many of us to believe. Can I give a quick perspective shift, though? While I think that we can overcome this and actually have hope in this holiday season, I believe that anxiety or troubled heart isn't the actual problem. You see, anxiety is just an emotion. In fact, Jesus experienced overwhelming trouble in his heart, so much so that it made him sweat blood with anticipation of what was going to come before him. In fact, if you go, it'll be on the screen there, but in Matthew chapter 26, beginning in verse 36, this is what happens just two hours after he said this statement. In Matthew 26, 36, he says, Then Jesus went with them, the disciples, to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and, what's that word? Let not your hearts be troubled. Same word. Then he said to them, my soul is sorrowful or troubled even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So it isn't the emotion that's wrong. It's what anxiety causes us to do that becomes the quicksand of our faith. You hear that? It's not the emotion that's wrong. It's what we do with that emotion that begins to sink our faith in ways that often is unrecoverable if we are not careful. You see, anxiety wrongly placed causes us to not believe in God and to not trust the God who is eternal, who lives in the future with our futures. But when we realize that God is in the future, we can give our future to him because that is where God himself dwells. Hence, believe in God. Hope in your eternal home, in the future, and hope in the God who lives there is what Jesus says in John 14. You see, this is actually why Jesus felt this feeling of troubled heart but did not sin within that feeling because it wasn't the feeling that was wrong. You see, the feeling is just the barometer that something is off. Anxiety becomes the barometer that we can test that something is wrong with the world. And for Jesus' sake, something was wrong with the world because Jesus was about to become sin and to pay for you and I's damnation on the cross, family of God. Something was terribly wrong. And he felt this, and it created a troubled heart. He was going to feel the displeasure or the separation from God. And so having a troubled heart there is a correct feeling. Jesus felt rightly. But even in the garden, as Jesus is experiencing this troubled heart, what did that anxiety cause him to do? He prays. And he calls his disciples to pray. And he literally does what he just told them to do in the upper room. He hopes in God. You see, he allows his feeling to push him towards God, not away from God. And this fills him up or begins to build up in him hope. You see, Jesus is our great example and our perfect fulfillment of what perfect hope looks like. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says it was for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross and despised the shame. In other words, Jesus looked ahead and he looked through the circumstance and through the suffering and allowed his hope to be filled up in the process. Anxiety then, friends, or a troubled heart becomes a great tool and an ironic friend. You see that our eyes are fixed on something other than Jesus is what our anxiety tells us. It's kind of like a light on a car dashboard. Our anxiety reveals that something in the engine of our soul is off. You see, the light on the dashboard isn't the problem. It's what's inside of the engine that is the problem. And so your troubled heart isn't the problem. It is what that is pointing us towards, where your hope is, what you're meditating and reflecting on. That's where the problem dwells. And so anxiety becomes not an enemy, but it becomes a friend to remind us to put things back into check, eyes back on Christ, believe in God, have hope in the future. Christ is preparing a home for you. Do you believe this? Is this true sentences or is this just a random statement from somebody that you don't really believe in? See, if we believe in him and his words never fail and Christ never lies, then this sentence is true. 
you can hope in God. You have a better future because Christ paved the way in the past. And so don't just hope for a better tomorrow on earth. Hope for a better eternity, family of God, for your future home. And if you believe in Jesus, your hope will not be deferred. It will not be put to shame because he died the death that we should have died so that eternity is ours. Friends, our advent or our current waiting is hope that a home is coming and Christ himself is the one that is preparing it. Not the angels in heaven, though he could have had them do all of his bidding. It is Jesus himself who is preparing this home for us. And whatever has Christ started that he has not finished? Nothing. God is certain you can have hope. You see, I don't have to be anxious about tomorrow because I have the hope of tomorrow. Christ is real, and he's preparing a home, and this earth is not it. It is what he is bringing to this earth that will bring beautiful redemption. You see, ruin my world, but you cannot touch my soul. And that's what Christ is proclaiming. Heaven's gates are guarded. The future is mine. I will be dwelling with my precious Jesus forever. And that is true for everybody who believes in him. And so family, whenever you feel troubled in your heart, let that be a health check. Let it remind you of the season of Advent that you find yourself in. This hope is not home. Put your hope in Christ. You see, the devil or your own flesh, I believe, will try to get you to feel trouble and then to not believe in God. The opposite of what Jesus told us to do in verse 1 of this text I want you to rebuke that lie when it comes. To say that that is a lie from the pit of hell, the thing that Jesus overcame. And for my friends, listen, who wrestle with anxiety, I want you to listen to me, okay? Because I know how many of us wrestle with anxiety here. Let what feels like a nagging vice become a consistent reminder that Christ is better. Let what feels like a nagging enemy to actually be a friend that, yes, this world is broken. There probably are things wrong. You have a better hope if you believe in Jesus. Let it be good news to your soul. Do you believe in him? Because if so, he's working even right now. He's readying you for your eternal dwelling place, family. Let the food of worry be the fuel of hope in your life. Jesus is coming again. And the house that we're going to, by the way, is not just a place, but the house that we're going to is a person. You see, Jesus is taking him to himself, it says there in verse 3. Not just a house, but to him. And so heaven is not a location. Heaven is a person. It is Jesus himself. And that is who you are going to receive. And forgetting this truth, it becomes the chaos that our soul often feels. And it stunts the mission of God in our life. It prevents this true sacrifice. And it causes us to lose hope. It causes us to become short-sighted, thinking that this world is all there really is. And Jesus promised there's significantly more. Can we talk about this home for a second, by the way? This person, Christ. I'm not going to get to the back half of my sermon or my text today. That's okay, yeah? Okay. Unless you want me to go an hour, I can do that too. Paul's like, please, no. Listen, Jesus' response to combat trouble is to believe in Jesus, right? To hope in God. 
And when I think about this, I think about like my granny's faith, for example, and her advice to me throughout my life. And her advice was often really, really simple. She would just say things like, just believe in God, baby. Just trust in God. That's it. It would be really, really simple. And at times, I think that you and I can dismiss uh, feedback like that as if it's cheesy or old, like it's a Bible cliche, like that isn't enough. It's like, that's so Christian. And yeah, it is. You see, I believe that she suffered more than most of us could ever even imagine, and yet somehow she still has enduring faith and everlasting joy despite her suffering. Maybe it's because she just believed in God. Maybe it's because she did what this text told us to do. And so maybe it isn't really cheesy. Maybe it's actually really Christian, which is why she still is one. And oftentimes we can look for something else above very simple sentences and simple truths. Hope in God, family. Christ is enough. Yes, I'm not saying that we shouldn't lament with people and we shouldn't throw out cheesy old Christianese sayings just to say it. But when we say that sentence as truth, it is truth, family of God. You can hope in God because God is real. Christ is real. Trust in him. He's making a home for you. Sometimes having enduring hope is as simple as that. It's just taking Christ at his word. You know, all of us who desperately kind of want a house here in Austin, and you know you ain't going to get one. (laughs) There's a better one awaiting you, family. (laughs) Right? I mean, listen, I, I, I say that in jest, but I say that in seriousness. We can allow all these things to bring anxiety rather than realizing our anxiety is pointing us towards something. And if we allow it to point us toward the Messiah, then we will have hope. And our hope will not put us to shame. This is Christmas season, yeah? And so Christmas analogy here, okay? You know how when you were kids, you would hope for a toy at Christmas and then you wouldn't get it? And oftentimes, no matter how many other toys you got, you felt a little bit deflated, right? Because you didn't get what you wanted. Yeah, it's just me and Anthony. Maybe y'all parents spoiled y'all rather than spanked y'all, all right? Maybe you always got the gifts that you wanted. But can you relate in some ways here? Right, like, like you wanted something. Maybe it wasn't at Christmas, but maybe it was some other time. Like you really wanted that job or you really wanted that house or you really wanted that relationship or whatever it was and it just didn't work out. Our hope became deferred. And do you know what happens when your hope gets deferred? Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12, that's right. It says, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but a desire fulfilled, it's a tree of life. Deferred means to be delayed and then to be put off. Heart sick is the same word for troubled heart that Jesus uses in John 14, 1. It's anxiety or it's the biblical word for depression, actually. Troubled hearts is what happens when our hope is put off. And I look at my kids when they're down because they didn't get the gift that they wanted even though they got too many dang-on gifts anyway, (laughs) right? And they missed the one that they wanted, though. And I can't help but think that maybe this is how God must mournfully look at us at times. You see, he gave us the perfect gift. But we hope in all of these lesser things, things that don't even satisfy if we get them in the first place. It's kind of like that toy at Christmas that after three months of using it, it just gets old anyway. Or like that new job that after a couple of years of having it just gets old anyway. Or like that new house after getting it, it just breaks anyway. 
or whatever it is that we get. And we have misplaced hope. And when we do that, our hearts get sick, family. They get troubled and we're missing the true hope that is put right in front of us. The God that became man, his name is Jesus. In him there is hope. In him is where our souls find rest. You see, we're missing the hope that will never be deferred. It will never be delayed and then put off. Christ gives us true hope. And if we trust in this hope, if we believe in God, and if we believe in Jesus, and if we wait on him, then we have endurance that will overcome any trouble that this world throws at you. You see, hope is not built on circumstances. It's actually trusting God despite the circumstances around you. It's looking at God's past faithfulness that actually motivates this hope for the future. And so you can actually, as Christians, look forward by looking backwards and realizing that God kept every single one of his promises. Will he not keep any of the ones that he has made to you as well? God is faithful. The entire New Testament speaks on this reality. And so for the biblical writers, hope was not based on some sort of circumstance that's only temporary and it passes away just as quick as it tends to come. Hope is built on a person. It's built on something more sure. And knowing him, honestly, it don't even matter your circumstances anyway because he overcomes them. Now, once again, family, let's not forget, the context that Jesus is giving these sentences in is almost absurd. He's about to die. He's prophesying about his death. He's prophesying that he's going to leave all the disciples all to themselves and that they will get persecuted. Hope in that context seems almost unimaginable. And yet, because he spoke the hope in that very context is what makes it that much more believable anyway. You see, if he has spoken it in perfect circumstances, we may be tempted to think that our circumstances are what dictate our hope. But when Jesus spoke it in the midst of the most absurd circumstances, and yet he had hope, and so did the disciples afterwards as well, when they saw the resurrection, then it doesn't matter what their circumstance was. It mattered who their Christ was. It doesn't matter your situation, family. It matters your Savior, That is where our hope is found. Beloved, some people might look at us and call us crazy because of that. They might look at you and say that that's just wishful thinking. That's just some sort of optimism. And it would appear foolish if God was not real. But the Bible assures us and Christ himself assures us that there's nothing crazy about hoping in God. It is the most sure thing on this planet. It is an optimism. That's not what hope is. I saw the Bible Project video they just put out once again. Optimism is kind of a, a good outlook on bad things, seeing how a situation could potentially turn out as good. And that's fine to have, okay? But hope is stronger than optimism. You see, hope is trusting God despite the circumstances that are in front of you, not seeing how the circumstances could and might turn out for good. It's rather trusting the goodness of God to overwhelm those very circumstances in the first place, to provide deliverance in a beautiful way because he's done it time and time and time again. Hope is waiting for God to return because he already came once, family of God. And he will not leave you as orphans, it says later in this passage. He will come to you again. You see, a dead man resurrected himself. 
And if he did it for himself and somehow was able to overcome the sins of the world, will he not do it for you too? Will he not be able to overcome your sins, to overcome your circumstances, to deliver you into an eternal home? The more that you learn to put your hope in things like this, the more that you will see, despite what this world might throw at you, that you know he who has overcome the world. What can this world do to you? What can this world throw at you that so shakes you so as to cause a shipwrecking of your faith? Nothing, if you hope in Christ. You will be with him one day. And that's the confidence that Christ wants us to walk in. Because truly, the God who was made baby did bring hope. And the lamb that turns to the lion will come back and deliver hope all the more, family. And if we believe in him, then a better day is coming. And he is going to return and restore all things. And so all the brokenness that you feel around you, look, Christianity isn't forgetting that that exists. It's saying, we know he who will overcome that. We know he who transforms this temporary brokenness into eternal hope. Believe in Jesus. Believe in God. Believe that he's making a place for you. This is what it means to live as a Christian. This is what it means to have hope. And family, if we can beckon our hearts to do that, we have hope that will never put us to shame. And our hearts will not be troubled and we will find the rest of the Advent words of peace and love and joy that begins to overwhelm our soul's family. This is what it means to be a Christian. Hope in God. I pray that we would do that as a church family. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Let's, let's pray. And as we pray, I, I want to spend a moment here. And I want to ask us, man, what are we putting our hope in? Because for all of us, it's something other than Christ. And we can hear these words, and, and I can speak with fire or eloquence or whatever it might be, but they mean nothing if we do not allow them to root in our heart and to bear fruit. So what are we hoping in? Spirit of God, I pray that even right now that you would begin to reveal to us what we're hoping in, other than you. Spirit of God, I pray that you would begin to replace that with yourself. That these words of Christ, one of the most simple sentences that was ever spoken is so hard for us to believe. God, we believe, help our unbelief. I do hope, God, I hope today at 3 p.m. and then tomorrow at 8 a.m. I lose hope again. 
God, I confess that so many other things beckon for hope, and I put my hope in them, and then they're deferred, and my heart gets sick. Help my heart not to be troubled. Christ, help our hearts not to be troubled. Let us believe in you, God. Father God, I pray for those of us who profess you as Jesus, who profess you as Savior, who say, I believe in God, and I believe in he, Christ, who he sent, and I believe that he's coming again. I pray that you would fill us up with overwhelming hope, God. I pray that this hope would almost burst through our hearts, that it would burst through our souls, that we would believe in God. God, help us to believe in you. Give us that grace, Jesus. God, where our hearts are troubled, let us let them not be troubled, but to believe in you. Which sounds too simple. And yet, we know, God, that often it's the simplest things that make the biggest impact. You're not trying to make this faith complex. You want us to understand it. You want us to get it. You want us to walk with you. Let us hope in you. And God, I pray for those who are in this room who actually don't know you as God. They're unsure of where they are in their relationship with you. God, I pray that they would see that they can have hope everlasting. Friends, you can have hope way beyond this earth. Way beyond a potential spouse or your spouse getting better. Way beyond friendships or a better job. Way beyond moving so that, oh, over there, that's where it might be. Way beyond whatever it might be that we tend to do. You can have hope that is secure. And if you believe in Jesus, listen, he died a hopeless death. And yet resurrected that you might have hope forever. This hope can be yours and heaven can be yours. And for us who believe, heaven is ours. Friends, hear those sentences. Heaven is yours. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus has never once told a lie. God, I pray that we'll be filled with hope in this Advent season. That as the busyness of Christmas begins to approach us and as our jobs and celebrations and concerns and whatever it might be, I pray that underlying all of that, there will be this hope in our souls. I pray that we would be people that had such hope that we would be people who cared more and took more seriously the world that is to come than the world that is right in front of us. You are coming back, Christ, soon and very soon. I pray that we would remember that. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen. Amen.